0: Good morning. I hope you're all well. I wanted to say how encouraged I've been over the last several weeks. It feels like God's really been speaking to us about what faith looks like and about having vision for the city, particularly with uh, having Guy Miller and John Groves with us and some of the prophetic words that have been shared. And I've thoroughly enjoyed the combination of DNA during the week Uh, and the City Vision series on Sundays. In fact, we're concluding uh, that City Vision series today. Right at the beginning of this series, Ash talked to us and gave us a kind of theology, a biblical theology of the city, um, that in God's creation, he wants lots of people and lots of things and in cities we find that kind of concentrated melting pot of people, culture and creativity Through the series we've seen how cities, because of the the density and concentration of people and activity cities can be places of incredible blessing uh, but also can be places of darkness and evil, whether that's Jerusalem, Babel London or Bristol. As we conclude this series, the question that I want us to ask today is where is it all going? Where is the whole of history headed? Thinking about cities, it's estimated that more than half the world's population currently live in urbanised areas And that's predicted to increase to about 68% of the global population by 2050 and possibly as much as 85% by the end of this century. That's not to say that cities are more important than rural areas. It's just the reality of urbanisation and growing population density in cities. Some people around the world are working hard to design uh, the cities of the future. The wife of one of my best friends has actually been employed uh, to be the cultural strategist for a new city called The Line that is being built in Saudi Arabia. And no, I don't know what a cultural strategist is either. Anyway, this city uh, called The Line is planned to be hundred and seventy kilometers long but only 200 metres wide. A 500 metre high mirrored wall running from the Red Sea through the desert into the mountains. And this megacity will cost hundreds of billions of dollars and is expected to house 1.5 million people by 2030 rising to a total of some 9 million. It will have no roads or cars, just a rail line that goes end-to-end in just 20 minutes. Now, you may love the idea of that, or it, may, it might sound like your worst nightmare to live somewhere like that. But no matter what you think of it, or, and no matter how well we design cities, a new city doesn't necessarily address and solve the bigger issues in life, like poverty, or access to opportunities, or even sinfulness. You can design a perfect city, but as soon as you fill it with imperfect people, yes, like you and me, um, you will encounter challenges. Because for all the good that people can do, they also fall out with one another. People can be selfish. Uh, systems and institutions can become corrupt and sinful and inevitably some people will become worse off Uh, they may be exploited or deprived of wealth and education and opportunities Um, so the idea of some utopian city or paradise civilization isn't really the answer. In the letter To the Hebrews, we find God's answer to the question of where is all of history headed? We're going to read from the last chapter of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 13. Um, It starts with something of a manifesto for how the community of God's people are to live, whether you're living in Almondsbury or Long Ashton, Canesham or Central Bristol. So let's read from Hebrews 13, Verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves are suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders, who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the Most Holy Place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is life to us. And as we conclude this series today, please come and speak to us. Come and minister to our hearts and give us renewed faith and vision. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So a very brief bit of context. Uh, We don't know the author of this letter, but it was addressed to Jewish people who had come to faith in Christ as an encouragement to them to leave behind their old practices and embrace their newfound faith in Christ. That's why the writer is writing. It's not about ceremonial foods. It's about coming to Jesus and putting our faith in his sacrifice. I mean, what a rich Chapter Hebrews 13 is. It it feeds my soul just reading it. But due to time, we're just going to focus on the very end, on those final words, looking for the city that is to come. Because where it's all going, where all of history is headed, affects our own perspective and it informs how we live now. That phrase looking for the city that is to come, links back to what is recorded about Abraham's faith. You know, the, the, the kind of role or the hall of fame uh, of the heroes of faith in Hebrews uh, 11. Uh, it says this about Abraham. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. In faith, Abraham was looking forward to the city of God, or we might call it the kingdom of God. So much so that he left his own country in order to follow the call of God and play his part in God's purposes. And yet despite all that happened and all that God did, actually God's people and indeed the rest of humanity weren't able to build the kingdom of God any more than they succeeded in building the Tower of Babel. As I said earlier, you can build a perfect city but as soon as you fill it with imperfect people you have a problem. We need someone or something who can deal with the problem of sin who can set us free from slavery to the desire for power, or sex, or money. How could there ever be anything so universal as to deal with uh, the, the power, and the penalty, and the pollution of sin that affects every human being? Many of us, actually, have discovered the answer. Something that seems too good to be true, and yet it's so good that it is true. God sent his own Son. Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born as a baby, fully God in flesh and fully human. Jesus understood what it means to be tempted in every way, what it means to suffer, and yet he never gave in to temptation. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was arrested, put on trial, and convicted, even though he had done nothing wrong. He was entirely innocent. He was brutally beaten and made to carry his cross outside the city walls where he was crucified and as the writer to the hebrews writes in verse 12 Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood why did he do that well just a chapter earlier in in hebrews 12 the writer says for the joy set before him he endured the cross what was the joy that would make Jesus endure the cross, it was you and me. It was the joy of knowing that if we put our faith in him, believing that he died as a perfect sacrifice in our place to pay the price for all that we have done wrong, then we would be forgiven and be able to have a restored relationship with God where we have previously been separated by sin. Jesus died outside the city in order to make a way for anyone to come in, to build a heavenly city, a perfect kingdom full of imperfect people like you and I, from every tribe and language and nation who have been made righteous through faith in Jesus. And all of that, so that we can live and be with him forever. That's what Bristol and the surrounding towns and villages need to hear. That is the solution to the problem of sin. People need to know that truth. They may feel like they want you know, better schools or green spaces or employment opportunities but they need to know this life-changing truth. That's how uh, a right-wing nationalist can uh, live side-by-side with an asylum seeker or someone who's been in prison uh, can live side-by-side with someone who's been a victim of crime. If they understand and are changed by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that there's uh, then there's been true repentance, true forgiveness, and true reconciliation. And then we get a taste of what this perfect community uh, of people who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We get an idea of what it will look like in Revelation 21, uh, reading from verse 2. I saw the holy city There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This heavenly city will be perfect. You see its perfection in how it's described uh, in John's vision in the rest of Revelation 21. John sees a city that's a perfect cube, 1,400 miles across. That's in each dimension. That certainly puts the line in in Saudi Arabia in perspective But actually we shouldn't read uh, this description uh, in a literal way This is metaphorical language pointing towards the perfection of the heavenly city And Revelation 21 is laden with symbolism So the twelve gates that uh, John describes around the city represent the twelve tribes of Israel the the foundations uh, of 12 different kinds of precious stones um, in verses 19 and 20 of Revelation 21. They're reminiscent of the breastpiece worn by the high priest in Exodus 28, the symbol of communion with God, uh, with those 12 gems uh, representing the 12 tribes of Israel over the high priest's heart representing the people before God and those 12 jewels are the foundations of the city and as John writes in verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. Jesus is the light of the city, the sun of righteousness risen with healing in his wings. Where one person, the high priest, entered the presence of God, now all people throughout history who have put their faith in Christ Jesus will dwell in a city full of God's presence. It all started in a garden where God placed Adam and Eve to steward and cultivate and multiply And we know that it all went wrong as they fell into sin, but in these passages we see where it's all going, where the whole of history is headed. John tells us more about this heavenly city in the next chapter in Revelation 22, and it is a garden city. Let's read it together. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. It's going to be the most glorious, stupendous, beautiful, breathtaking thing ever. Can you imagine it? To be in that city, to be with God's people in the presence of God. It's it's beyond words, it's beyond describing, but it's going to be glorious, filled with God's presence, his peace, his love, its glory. That's, that's why Paul can write in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's why when we sing in Christ alone, we can sing no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. This is our hope and this is the hope that we can invite other people into, not just to have their sins forgiven, not just to know God with them in this life, but to be with him forever in the heavenly city on a renewed earth. Not that kind of caricatured picture of heaven where we float around on clouds with angels and and harps, heaven will come to earth and will be a garden city full of God's presence. So what does that mean for us if you're a Christian here today? Do we just need to hang on and survive until one day when we're with God in that place? No, I don't think it is just about surviving. We have a part to play now in building God's kingdom. And that's why we need vision, something to lift our eyes beyond what is immediately before us or around us. And vision helps us to know what we're building for and working towards. It inspires us in the right way to live here and now, prioritizing the right things. So that's why we have our church vision of helping Bristol believe and we have those three phrases, uh, you know, reaching the whole of Bristol uh, with the gospel. We want to keep reaching people with the good news of Jesus and that's that's us collectively but it's each one of us on mission. We want to keep growing our ministries and sites and we'll launch more churches, and we'll plant uh, more sites in order that more and more people can hear the gospel. Secondly, restoring. Um, Andy talked about this last week. We want to serve people who are trapped in poverty, who are disadvantaged or uh, deprived in some way, And, and really that is at the heart of the gospel. Thirdly, resourcing. We want to resource people and churches. That's why we're supporting several churches right now. Um, So a group went to the church plant in Belfast. Um, We're supporting the church in Bath. Um, We're supporting a church plant in Swindon, sending people to preach occasionally. Um, We're supporting our friends in Exmouth and Exeter. It's why we're offering trainee pastor placements. We want to train leaders who can lead sites or church plants or join the team of another church. And it's why we're trying to build a building. We want to have facilities that can be a resource for the community and the people around us. So to conclude, how do we do it? As Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. This right here and right now isn't all that there is as we read in Hebrews for here we do not have an enduring city. Bristol and the surrounding area will wear out just like our physical bodies will wear out and die but we have a future hope of a permanent city and we should live with that city in mind with an, in, with an eternal perspective. Let's live our lives now in the light of that city that we're looking forward to. Let's live in a way that anticipates how things will be like a prophetic picture or a, a taste of the future and as we do that the people around us will be drawn to to Jesus. It's not a passive thing, it's an active participation. As he builds his church, as his kingdom advances, as he brings in the harvest, we can cooperate to see God's kingdom come in the place where we are now. So I just want to suggest three things. Work, build and cultivate. Firstly, work. How you work and serve is important. As, it, as it, Paul writes in Colossians 3, do it all as for the Lord. Whether you're in a conventional workplace, whether you work from home or in the home, raising children is hard work. Whether you get paid or not, whether you're studying or volunteering, whatever you're doing, work hard as for the Lord. Secondly, build. God has called us, to help build his kingdom. Like when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem and everyone had their part of the wall that they were building. What part are you building? You might be building a family. You might be building a business. You might be trying to build a better education system. Or you might be building the NHS. Or building community whether that's somewhere in Bristol or Nailsey or Thornbury or Yate. When we build we create something new where there wasn't anything before. That's part of our call to pioneer new things, to bring things into being that are good, that glorify God and are a blessing to people. So what are you building? Are you building the way you should be, the way that God wants you to. Maybe you need to start something. I felt like there were some people that need to get going. You, maybe you're feeling stirred to start a charity, or pioneer a ministry, or help launch a new site. I feel like it's time to prepare. I felt like there were some here who are also going to physically build things. You're going to improve an area and bring life to it by what you build. And lastly, cultivate. Um, Jess and I were recently at a Commission Leaders Weekend and Andrew and Rachel Wilson were speaking. And Rachel talked about how we measure success. She talked brilliantly uh, about how our modern society often measures success by achievement and productivity. But she explained that the Bible more often talks in agricultural language uh, where success looks like faithfulness and fruitfulness. Isn't it interesting that God placed Adam and Eve in a garden and as Christians we're all headed for a garden city. I think we need to think more in terms of a field Rather than a factory. A field or or a garden is something that we cultivate. A factory is all about a production line, uh, targets, and achievements. The field or the garden is all about knowing the season you're in, doing the right things at the right time, knowing when to sow seeds and when to reap, being faithful in caring for the land, in watering and ploughing. Now some of you are brilliant at cultivating friendships and relationships. I felt people like uh, Cheryl and uh, Nat Sital Singh, uh, you cultivate amazing friendships and I feel like the rest of us have a lot to learn from you about how to build great friendships. Simon You're cultivating relationships that are going to be significant for us as a church. You're befriending people who are going to help to move us forward in our vision of helping Bristol believe. And lastly, for those of you who lead something, whether that's a group, a team, a ministry, I just encourage you, be faithful in cultivating. Invest in the people you lead. Be faithful in sowing and reaping. Until that day when we finally come home to be with God forever, to dwell in his glory in that great garden city, let's work together to build and cultivate the kingdom of God where we are.